Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. Our ministry is brought to you by the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its Mission Fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. It's our purpose to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, personal discipleship, and the planning of new churches around the world. God is blessing and multiplying this work. If you want to learn more, go to traincpe.org or contact us at breadoflifeboise.org. Now we continue a consideration of Jesus' warning against deception in the last days. In Matthew 24, 4, he says, Take heed that you be not deceived. The question we've asked is, what is deception? And the answer we've given is that deception lies close to the truth, but it is not in the truth, just near to it. Now the question is, where does this deception rise in our lives? It's not the truth, it's not in the truth, but it's, it's right alongside of it. So you have to be on guard, and you have to be discerning, and you have to be knowledgeable of God's truth. Here's along those lines, if it's found near the truth, we could also say something like this, that deception usually is something that rises up from within and not from without. Deception is usually something that rises up from within and not from without. The false teachers that came upon the early church, threatened to undo it, rose up within the ranks of the early church, not from without it. They came with their false teaching, bringing about maybe the contemporary wisdom of their age, but they brought it to the church from within it. The Gnostics that read about, the Libertines are names that are given to them, Nicolaitans, Judaizers, it's not important right now that you know what all their teaching was, just know this, it rose up from within the church. It was their instruction and their words and their ideas that were providing a place and a ground and the point at which deception took place. The application for us might be like this. The teachings of the cults in our day and age should not be our major concern. We're not to be threatened by the literature of the Moonies. I know it might disturb you, you might not like it, but it shouldn't th- you shouldn't be threatened by the literature of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the westernized Buddhist that puts his prayer flags all over the place. That's not the thing that should concern you most of all. That's not where we are most endangered. We're not endangered by the new rabid atheism, who is atheist who's writing his emotional books and giving his really infantile arguments. Those are not the individuals that undermine our faith. No. The danger of deception, for the most part, rises up in the pulpit of evangelical churches. It rises from the blogs of professing believers who have popularized their teaching by their edgy forms of communication and their certainty through a few words that they've captured, understood all that the Bible means and want to teach it to us. And It rises from the periodicals of schools that have declined and moved away from being guided by the traditions that have been handed down from the fathers of God's word and God's instruction, and now they've discovered a new thing, and surprisingly, a new thing is largely informed by the cultural sensitivities of the age in which we live in. Those are the types of situations, those are the things we have to be on guard against. We have to be on guard against the things that are being taught around us. We have to always be Berean in our mindset, constantly testing the instruction and the ideas that are brought before us by the word of God, and submitting to it, and listening to it, and you know, when the church, the early church would have somebody come and they would prophesy that the Lord had given them a message, there was instruction to be given that they were to be tested. It was to be tested by the leadership of the church to see whether it was God or not. And let me just say to you, that's always the spirit in which we're to engage in the instruction of God's word. The Bible says, John says to the believer that you have an anointing and you have no need that anyone should teach you. He's writing to the early church this way because there were these Gnostics came along that had said, we've got this special knowledge 
And you've got to listen to what we have to say because God's given us a new revelation. He says, no, you've got an anointing. You have no need that any man should teach you. Now, John is not saying, don't listen to me because he's teaching why he's saying that. He's saying you need to be discerning about these things. You need to ask the Spirit to guide you. You need to know God's Word and trust that the Spirit of God can confirm these things to your heart. And that's true here in this place. It's true before what I say. You have to be discerning. You have to know it in light of God's Word and in light of the Spirit that God gives to His born-again child. And that's where deception can be found. And so we have to be careful about these things. We have to be on guard against these things. So deception is... Close to truth. Deception is most often found within and not without. And that was the dilemma in the church in the early days. And it's the dilemma in the church still today. Another thing is that deception is found where faith is weak. Deception is found wherever faith is weak. You know, most Christian cults want to find people who believe that the Bible is God's word, but also people that don't know what it says. In Hebrews chapter 11.1, we're told that faith is the evidence of things that are not seen. However, when faith is weak, what happens is an increased interest in the evidence of things that are seen and felt. When our faith becomes weak, there is nothing wrong with Christian apologetics. I actually enjoy it. I find if you look at the things that I watch or I listen to, you'll find that I lean towards listening to some intellectual that's talking about various apologetic arguments that defend and fortify our belief in faith. However, I have to tell you, and now you can see that's kind of growing interest, as if My belief in the Lord Jesus is sealed in the testimony of some egghead telling me what the philosophical argument is for why I should believe what I believe. My faith is grounded in a Savior who's risen from the dead and been validated by the justifying of the Holy Spirit who gave him that resurrection power. So we have to be careful that our faith doesn't shrink so much that we rely upon the argument of some apologists. Here's what's going to happen. Some of these apologists that you depend upon to give you confidence in your faith are going to at some point in time because they're constantly engaging the unbelieving mind and they're constantly regulating what they say, not by God's word, but in response to the unbelieving mind. They're subtly going to be influenced by that unbelieving mind and eventually, and this has happened over and over again, they're going to leave the faith. And everyone who's kind of grounded their faith in their arguments is going to have this major crisis and dilemma. Should I leave with them? What was the basis of my faith? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's not relying and putting my foundation down upon someone's intellectual arguments. On the opposite side, there are other individuals who would have you believe what you believe because they promise you some ecstatic experience, some emotional experience, some engagement of the Spirit of God that is so overwhelming and overpowering that this is the thing that you're to believe in. And so you have a clamor after and you have people that will go to church and what they want to do is they just want something to hit them in the gut. They just want some emotional encounter or experience that will somehow tell them that what they believe is true. And again, wherever faith is weak, deception is right around the corner waiting for us. It's fertile soil for deception and so be cautious be cautious of a ministry and message of a church today that's fixated upon sensations that's promising people the fulfillment of their felt needs that's impatient to give them quick fixes and happy endings and a good boost for their emotional mindset it's fertile soil for deception because these things are not an expression of faith 
but of a people in one way or another who are seeking some kind of sign, an intellectual sign, an experiential sign, be on guard. It's not that any of those things are wrong, right? It's, if you've trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus, you know that that walk with the Lord Jesus will impact your emotional mindset at times. You will experience it. It's right. And you know as well when you met the Lord Jesus that he didn't close your mind. He opened it up. You began to think like you'd never thought before and evaluate things with a sound mind. And so there's nothing wrong with the intellect. There's nothing wrong with the emotion. But just be on guard that you don't begin to make these objects in themselves just like another person might make the traditions of the church the object of their worship. They're to lead us to place our faith completely and totally upon the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus saw the deception that was coming and the testings that were going to come shortly upon that young church. And they would need a faith to endure to the end. And if they bought into a deception that said being a follower of Jesus meant the end of all your troubles, or that following him would mean that all your concerns would be satisfied, they'd never make it past the mouths of hungry lions in the Roman amphitheaters. And they would not overcome the stonings and the tortures and the betrayals that would await them. And they would fail then to bring to us the faith that they had received from Jesus Christ himself. If that early church let themselves become dependent for their faith upon the existence of religious structures and institutions, they would have never endured when driven from temple precincts and cast out of synagogues, or when they saw the temple torn down before them. And if their faith had been put in human government, they would have faltered when the government that presided over them was the government that was persecuting them. They needed a faith that was fixed on the truth, a faith that did not always change to their immediate experiences and did not deliver them from the sorrows and difficulties of the world, but a faith that changed their identity in the world so that they knew that they were in the world but not of it. They had been saved from it. They had to have a faith that allowed them to rise above the wrath of the world that was around them, but they would not yield to the fear of the wrath of the world that was around them when they knew that they had been saved from the wrath of God. Their faith said that was more important. The age's wrath and the age's rage was nothing in comparison to them with the eternal reward that had been offered them through Jesus Christ. And faith that's strong like that endures. But where that faith is weak, deception takes place. Deception also takes place where sin exists. Hebrews 3.13 calls us and warns us against the deceitfulness of sin. You know how this is. Immediately after committing a known and conscious sin, our hearts usually begin devising a cover-up for them. We come up with all kinds of excuses or reasons or rationales or we tell ourselves that this was a mere exception that we don't have to worry about. It. And lies are the oxygen that fire, the fire of sin needs and requires in order to keep on burning. And sin always needs a rationalization to accommodate it. And that's where deception takes place. It's not that bad. Uh, No one will ever know. Uh, I can't help it. I have no control over these things. It's the woman that you gave me. Whatever the excuse is, deception comes where sin exists and it's not confessed and it's not hated and it's not turned from. As a result, when you don't hate it and you don't turn from it, you know what happens? Your heart becomes increasingly hardened to God's truth and God's way and your heart becomes then increasingly susceptible to deception. And so, again in Hebrews chapter 3, 
we're told not to harden our hearts. In verse 12 it says, See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's also where deceit comes in. One of the things I realize when I read this is that there needs to be on our part a, a readiness a readiness to constantly keep our hearts soft before God. Let me recommend something for you, just a little practical advice. Before you go to bed at night, do a review of your day. Look it over. I don't know what command you want to apply to it, what command you got wrong, because there's oftentimes a lot that we miss, but here's one for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now go to bed at night. And say, did I do all that I did out of love for God? Were the actions that I took and the attitudes I had and the things I did, did it present a love for my neighbor? Here's another one. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's a command. Before you go to bed at night, think, were my choices? Does the pattern of the decisions and the thoughts and the things that I allowed and the things that I pursued and the things that I conducted with my time, were they expressed out of a desire to bring glory to God? And then having done an honest evaluation of those things, where you fell short in your love of God, where you fell short in your love of man, where you failed to act with a driving impulse to bring glory to God, confess it. Ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and wash you. If you do that on a consistent basis, you will take away the callous of deceitfulness of sin. You'll unmask the lies that you tell yourself in order to justify your behavior. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.